AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. I am here today with Marty B, and he is from Las Vegas, Nevada. Is that right, Marty? Yeah, Boulder City, just outside Las Vegas. Okay. The town that built the Hoover Dam. Oh, okay. I've been to Hoover Dam before. All right, so Marty is here to talk about a special interest group within Alcoholics Anonymous called Birds of a Feather, uh, which exists to serve airline pilots, I believe. And so Marty's going to tell us all about it. Marty, can we begin with a little bit of background, like what is Birds of a Feather? Birds of a Feather is kind of a loose organization. I, I hesitate to use the term group because General Service Office had said having a specialized meeting, if you call it a meeting, it's okay. So you really can't call it a group if you're going to. So, but the organization Birds of a Feather it's actually um, aviation professionals in uh, in recovery, and uh, we have uh, it is an out each each nest, which is what we call the, the meetings in a particular city, for example, um, is autonomous, and they have different requirements uh, for membership, or I should say, they who they allow into their meetings. Some are very specific; it's only pilots. Some some include. Uh, management, aviation professionals from different parts of the industry, flight attendants, uh, flight engineers. Here in Las Vegas, our nest in, I should say in Las Vegas, uh, includes uh, air traffic controllers. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, I could see that. And uh, we do have a, a retired air traffic controller in England who was uh, is part of our international organization. So we have nests all over the world, uh, from Dubai to New Zealand to the UK, as well as all over the country. And I don't have an exact list of the, I mean, a number of the nests right now. And it's, and it's been growing through, um, through the pandemic, through, with Zoom, has been uh, very beneficial to Birds of a Feather. And I get to see people on a weekly basis that I didn't get to see except once a year. We have an international uh, convention, much like Secular AA, and we have a newsletter that we send out quarterly. And it is a rather closed group, but as I said, it's loosely organized, so each, each, each meeting is autonomous. So. Gotcha. So when, what's the history behind it? When did this start? Well, it really started in, uh, it started in the early 70s when there were pilots in recovery, who decided they were going to take a chance and and step out and uh, declare, you know, their recovery, their alcoholism and their recovery, which was very risky at the time because the FAA, uh, you know, a, a, a clinical diagnosis of alcohol, alcoholism or a history of an excessive drinking habit would automatically disqualify an aviator from holding a medical certificate. So this includes private pilot, commercial pilot, um, you know, anybody that's making a living flying an airplane. But it was really initially driven by airline pilots. And so they they got together with their companies and convinced their companies that 
it was beneficial to the company to help a pilot uh, get sober, get in recovery. Not only would they would it save them money in the long run, which is what it's really all about from the corporate standpoint, but that they would end up with a better employee. And from that grew a program which was called HIMS, the Human Intervention and Motivation Study, which was for professional pilots and primarily airline pilots. And out of that or group is when birds of a feather grew up. And um, and part of that was also because it involved the military and. So was that first group not an AA group? It was something just outside of AA or out of... Correct. It wasn't really a group. It was an organization that became affiliated through the unions, the pilot unions. With the, It was a cooperation between the pilot unions, the um, airlines, and to develop this program. And what we had is we had some pilots who'd, who'd gotten sober and uh, in AA, like myself, and the FAA said, well, that's self-diagnosis, and that's none of our business. So then they said, well, we need a place where we can go. It's not affiliated with the company, not affiliated with the union. And, and of course, people got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so that's how Birds of Feather got started. And it started in the Pacific Northwest. And I think the first meeting was around 1975. Wow, interesting. About the same time that um, Secular AA meetings started. Yeah, yeah. So I was fortunate. I'd... Uh, I got involved in 19, well, I got sober in 90, and uh, I was introduced to Birds of a Feather right around 92, I believe, in Phoenix, and I didn't know anything about it. My story involves, um, you know, I got uh, working in custody of my son, and I was, I'd gotten divorced, and I thought, oh, this, uh, this drinking thing might come up in court, maybe I should quit drinking, and I got involved in Alcoholics Anonymous through a friend of mine who I'd been in the military with, and uh, he helped me get sober and point me in the right direction. And, and uh, after a couple of hiccups, I, I got sober in June of uh, 1990. So I was working for an airline at the time, and I had worked in Europe and in the East Coast, and it went out of business. And then I was hired by another airline in Texas. That's when I moved to Phoenix in 92. And that's when I, shortly after that is when I was introduced. I met somebody in a meeting, an AA meeting. I saw another pilot who I recognized. And I approached him after the, after the meeting and talked to him, and he's the one who introduced me to Birds of a Feather. And that's when I first got involved in it in 92. So did you have any issues with um, the airlines that you were working for um, because of your drinking? Um, not really. I was, uh, you know, what do we say, a high-functioning, you know. In fact, I was promoted and given position, you know, responsibility, and I was uh, designated as an evaluator. So really good at hiding it, and a lot of us are. Right, right. And uh, one of the things with, with pilots, you know, we had this rule of eight hours. We call it eight hours bottle to throttle, and um, we were to drink up to eight hours. Well, if you drink alcoholically, you know, eight hours isn't a lot of time. To, but um, that was the rule, which kept a lot of people relatively healthy. And, but as, as, as you know, historically, as time went by, um, people were pushing that envelope. And, you know, you've, you've heard all the news stories about people getting caught and going through security and smelling like alcohol. Uh, that never happened to me, uh, fortunately. And, and it was actually when I, about a year sober, I was awarded full custody of my son. My ex-in-law sent a letter to my company and said, we have information that he's an alcoholic. So I had to go see a medical rehabilitation officer, one of his designations, a company doc. 
and I went to see him and uh, told him my story. It's kind of funny because I told him my story and I was sober a year and he was used to seeing people that were being dragged in with their lawyers until right. <laughs> smelling like alcohol. And here's a guy who voluntarily went to AA, got sober, so you're sober. And so he gave me a physical and gave me a letter with the company letterhead on it. And it said, well, I've tested bridges, blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't appear to have any problem and, you know, physically or da, da, da. And I don't see that he's an alcoholic. And so I got that letter. I framed it. And <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. I walked out of his office and called my sponsor and we had a good laugh over that. But uh, nevertheless... So I really didn't, and then I went back. I had talked to my uh, chief pilot and my director of operations and explained my situation. They were very supportive. So when I went to the next company, I, I'd been sober a couple of years when I first got hired, and that's the company I retired from after 25 years. And I was involved in the union there in this HIMSS program I talked about earlier as a, as a peer monitor and a mentor. I think, you know, there's something similar to that for attorneys. Yes, Absolutely. And physicians. Yes, right. Most places, most yep. places. In fact, my friend who had taken, we had, I was a B-52 gunner, and my, so was my friend in Southeast Asia. We came back, we went to college together, and he went into uh, pre-med and eventually medical school, and he was an ER doctor. Uh, and he went through that, same, that program. Um, he's the one who introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous. So I didn't go through that. I never went to treatment. I was never clinically di- diagnosed. And without DUIs or anything documented, there is no documented history of a habit of excessive drink. So that's why it was never an issue with my company. So what, what happens to a pilot now, or I guess any airline professional who has an alcohol problem and their employer becomes aware of it? Are, they're not immediately dismissed, are they? Are they put through that program or are they suggested to go to Birds of Feather? What, how, what, what approach is being taken? Usually when the company gets involved, by the time the company gets involved, there's been some event. Yeah, something happened. You didn't show up for a flight or you... Usually it has something to do with an overnight, you know, when they're at a hotel somewhere overnight and a little bit too much to drink, even blackouts, people doing dumb things in blackouts and or, you know, um, whatever, some what we call odd and tragic behavior. So... <laughs> odd and tragic <laughs> I think that's what it said in the book, but okay. I, uh, uh, and I practiced some of that. It's usually that or a DUI. Right. Yeah, definitely. I can see that because that would be reported, I guess, on up. Things changed. I'm going to probably, it's probably going back about 10 years ago, but some things changed within the FAA and they became more, they became to scrutinize this more. And if you had a DUI, if it was a minor you know, there's different levels of DUIs. I guess there's excessive. And so uh, if it was a minor one, they may they may look at it and look at your past. And if there's nothing there, they may decide, well, it's okay. We'll let you go this time. It's recorded. If it's uh, um, excessive, I forget what they call it. I think it's excessive or something like that. Extreme. Yeah, extreme. Then they'll, they'll, they'll probably immediately say, okay, you need to go to treatment and go into the HIMSS program. They don't, the FAA doesn't mandate AA. They can't, right, legally. But the, the aeromedical examiner may. But they certainly are very happy when people go to AA. They really like to see people in a 12-step program. And most AMEs are educated now about 
the AME, oh, I'm sorry, an AME is an aviation medical examiner. They're, they're designated by the FAA. These are independent doctors who are designated through some training by the FAA to, to give pilots their physical. And there are specific uh, AMEs that deal with the HIMSS program. That's another level of qualification, so to speak. So certification. And they handle specifically pilots in recovery. And they, they're kind of educated through an organization that runs these conferences for them about birds of a feather. And birds of a feather's got a very good reputation with the FAA and with, with these aeromedical examiners and people in recovery. Are the meetings, a lot of them, I, I'm, I'm kind of imagining they're probably centered around cities that have airports, large airports? Yes, most often. They'll, they're usually centered around cities that have domiciles for, for certain airlines. Here in Las Vegas, I can tell you that we have retired military pilots. We've had active duty. We have private. We have, I think we have three guys right now who are trying to get their private pilot license. So they're not professionals at all. They're just trying to get that. They had DUIs, and the FAA said this is what you got to do. So, but the reason we're here is because it's a, is a major domicile for two or three airlines. Yeah, and I imagine that that you know because pilots are traveling, well, at least um, commercial airline pilots. And I guess other kinds of pilots are. You're traveling. You're probably staying in different places overnight, and uh, you're uh, th- these meetings must be kind of interesting because I'm sure that you must have like a group of regulars that are there, but you must have people that fly in every so often and connect up with the group. Yeah, occasionally we do. We don't have a meeting place right now in Las Vegas. Our, the, the hospital used closed down during the pandemic and went out of business. So, and we haven't been meeting face-to-face, so we're just doing Zoom. But that is true. So we would often, we have a list, we have a website, and on the website is listed all the different nests and the contact phone numbers. And we always say, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're in a city and you're overnight, you call a number, somebody will come and get you. If it's not on the if it's not on the night of the actual nest meeting, still we're we're members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we will come and get you and take you to an AA meeting if if you'd like, you know. So, so COVID and the Zoom meetings has been a boon for you. Absolutely, absolutely, especially for our international. I mean, we have groups in New Zealand and Australia, and we have meetings uh, twice a month with them, and I have. New lifetime friends there that I haven't met face to face that I I see on a regular basis and uh, and I have uh, and we've had a lot of uh, people get sober in the time of Zoom. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is fascinating. Guys that have come out of treatment and uh, and so their first meeting is to log on to a computer. So uh, it's it's been great. And I think it's going to be really be good for our type of organization. Yeah. Because we have, we're going to continue to have Zoom meetings even after. We've already talked about it. It's easier to find each other. And it doesn't, geography doesn't matter anymore. You can, yeah, that's great. And, I, you know, we're seeing the same thing with secular AA meetings as well. I mean, there, a, a new Zoom meeting seems to be popping up every other, every day. You know, a couple of them. Yeah, I'm looking to get to more of those as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're probably finding um, pilots or in, in airline professionals that are just wanting to be in a meeting with people who understand the the different issues that they're that they face in their recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And what are those? What 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 is unique 
what, what, what are the special issues that, you know, once you're sober, you're in recovery, you're a pilot. What, 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 what do you deal with that it's where it's helpful to have a meeting specifically for other, where you're with other pilots? Well, I, you know, the first thing is that because of the rules of the federal, you know, aviation administration, you know, a lot of people were driven underground by it. And so they're, they're hesitant to talk about things like where they work or what they do. That for a makes living sense. Or, yeah. You'd want, you wouldn't want to go to a meeting where just with the general public and have people, you know, be alarmed or whatever. Right. <laughs> so right. You, you were the guy I, just I, flying me last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I spoke at, I, we lived in Scottsdale for years. I spoke at a noon meeting once. It was a pretty big meeting in Scottsdale. And um, I spoke, I told my story and, and, uh, and I worked overseas a lot too, and worked in Africa and some third world countries, and I have some interesting stories. So, uh, and uh, after the meeting, this woman came up to me and she goes, and at the time I was probably seven or eight years sober, and she said, "Boy, I don't, I don't know if I'd want you flying my airplane." And I said, <laughs> and I said, "Well, do you want the two guys who were in the bar till two a.m.?" Right, right, yeah. right, right. So uh, they don't. So that they, they give you a look like you got a third eye, and that's what you when you sit down in a meeting with birds of a feather, you know we understand each other. We're sober, and that's like the same thing with physicians as well. You know because you have that reputation with the public, and uh, the public kind of probably puts you up on a on a bit of a pedestal because, like a physician, you have people's lives you know in your in your hands there as you're flying there flying them from point A to point B. You know, when we were when we were talking to a physician, um, he mentioned that the recovery rate, the success rate, the 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 percentage of people who stay sober is like ninety five percent or something. It's a huge number for them because they have this motivation. You know, their whole career depends upon it, and they're so closely monitored. Is is that is that the same with pilots? It is. There was a time, and I'm I'm pretty certain that the physician's program was designed after the pilot's program. Oh, interesting. And we had a higher rate of recovery than physicians. Wow. Isn't that interesting? But I think that, I think that they've surpassed us by percentage points. Like we're like 93%. I can tell you that one of the, one of the real motivating factors, well, I've always said that, um, or I should, I say I've heard, that one definition of a bottom is when you're about to lose something more important to you than the alcohol. And, you know, it was like when I was trying to get custody of my son and I was thinking, well, this is what I have to do. Of course, that didn't keep me sober. That's what we learn in Alcoholics Anonymous. I got to get sober for myself or I can be sober for anybody else. But pilots truly identify with what they do very strongly, you know, and we love what we do. And when that is threatened, it's a, big motivator. Having said that, I know some pilots who, uh, after they retired, went back to drinking. And, you know, as we know what happens, you know, the guy that sits down and puts on his slippers, the story in the book, and and he's dead shortly afterwards. Um, You know, um, back in the 80s, when Reagan was busting up the air traffic controllers union, there was a lot in the news about the stress involved with being an air traffic controller. I mean, it might even be more stressful than being a pilot because you have you have all these planes in the air that you need to keep straight. 
and it's probably not always so easy. easy. Um, it, you know, probably as a person who flies on a plane, I probably don't want to know how <laughs> what's going on back there. But that, you know, when you mentioned that some groups would allow fly, um, air traffic controllers, and that kind of makes sense to me because wouldn't they be facing the very same issues as a pilot? Absolutely. I, and they, uh, the rules are a little different for the air traffic controllers, but I do agree that it's a highly stressful job. I think it is more stressful than flying the airplane because we're, we're flying one airplane and they're controlling hundreds, especially if you're somewhere like Los Angeles or Chicago, New York, you know, um, very stressful. And I think there's a high level of drinking, you know, that's why we, we haven't been very successful. We've had a few the air traffic controllers come and go in our meeting, but um, I wonder if that does have to do because you mentioned that your union kind of worked, kind of you know the whole this thing started with the union kind of getting involved. I wonder if if the air traffic controllers, if they don't have a strong union, if that might be part of their problem. I've known people that 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 got sober and and kept their jobs. You know, they take they they're off for a while and then they go back and. But they're like again, they're not under the same scrutiny as the of the FAA is as a pilot is. I don't and, know why. Yeah, yeah, you think they should be, and then of course you said some groups will allow or some meetings will allow flight attendants as well. Okay, yes. and again, you know, I guess you know they they also have that public persona, you know, and that that's the thing is, you know, when I was talking to the physician and even the teacher, you know, we don't we don't always stop to think about how the public views us at, because of our profession. You know, if you're a doctor, they, they assume that you've got everything under control. You know, if you're a pilot, you've got things under control. People like to think that, you know, um, and they don't allow, they don't allow these people just to be human like everyone else and, and understand that they have human failings and human problems just like everybody else. And maybe it freaks them out a little bit. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, only recently in the recent past, and I'm probably backing up five to eight years, uh, maybe a little longer, is when they first finally approved an antidepressant. Oh, really? Pilot. And it's a, it's a requirement where the, the pilot has to stay grounded for a year. Really? While he takes it before they... Well, that is really interesting because there really isn't any side effects from an antidepressant. Right. I know <laughs> the FAA's very, that's the way they do things right so, right and uh, you know and i'm sure the traveling public would agree just being extra cautious i guess and they and they they really really shine the spotlight on it with the um with the accident was in europe and uh there was an airline uh where the the captain left the cockpit and the co-pilot crashed the airplane yeah, I think I remember that. I remember that was a few years ago. He actually, it was like they they, they suspect it might have been a suicide. Yeah, it was a Austrian or German. I forget exactly which the name of the airline, but yeah. So then, so then they're they're thinking that you know mental mental issues are are an issue by themselves. Yeah, yeah. So if you're being treated for depression, it's they're going to take a closer look at you. Like you said, we're human beings, so and it's really better to come out and open. You know, when you were talking about in the beginning, how, how birds of a feather started. And it's, it's much better for, for you to be out in the open with the airline saying, yes, you know, I've done something about my problem rather than if you hide it, because if you're just hiding in the shadows, 
you know, you could successfully be drinking, you know, the entire time and be a raging alcoholic and the airline will never know, you know, and you could, you know, and just because you're not, you're, you're, you might not be trashed uh, when you're getting on that plane, you, you might still, you might still be a bit impaired. You know, I know that was the case with me. My drinking, you know, lingered on, you know, after <laughs> for, for a while. So, so yeah, it's much better to be out in the open as far as, you know, working with the airlines. Yes, I agree. You know, it's interesting when I, like I said, I had gotten sober in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and I'd gone through this evaluation where they, the doctor determined I was okay. And, but I still had this lingering thing in the back of my mind and maybe they'd come after me, you know, and I had some fear wrapped around that, even though I was sober. Um, so we have these conventions in different cities, just like secular AA. And we had the convention at the time I was living in Phoenix and we we're in the convention in Phoenix. And we have a, you know, we have a banquet with a speaker on Saturday night. And I was sitting there with the head psychiatrist of the FAA, an interesting guy. His name's Bart Packle. He's retired since. He's really a pilot advocate and an advocate of Alcoholics Anonymous and Birds of a Feather. Just a side note. It was interesting in a convention. He was speaking to doctors and medical examiners and psychiatrists. And he said, you know, basically said what, what really works Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> and he said that uh, I've learned a lot from pilots in recovery, you know, from 12-step programs, and which I thought was fascinating. But I'm sitting at the table with this guy and I'm thinking, oh my God, he's going to find out I'm sober. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm at a convention with 80 sober pilots. Why else would I be there? You know, and then my, then they called me up to the podium because it was, that was my seventh anniversary that day and they gave me a chip it was very very emotional experience and yeah i said well cat's out of the bag you know and you know i was talking to bart afterwards and he goes well he said you self-diagnosed you're not the problem you know <laughs> so he said not my business and i think that's interesting so so that was a huge relief for me but it was all in my head like so many of our fears right I was going to ask you about how Birds of a Feather interacts with the rest of uh, the fellowship. Yeah, we, we're kind of, um, you know, I, my Phoenix Nest, we, we met for a while at an al club. We had a meeting in a room in an al club. And now and then we would have somebody would walk in the room that needed a meeting. And it was part of our group conscious that that happened. We would have a group conscious, we would accept them, and we would adjust the topic accordingly for whoever came in that needed a meeting. Most of the time, yeah, most of the time we tend to find a place that's, that's isolated. Like the blast, we were working at this hospital that since closed down, and in the room right next to us was a, was a meeting for uh, medical professionals, you know, pharmacists and PAs and nurses and uh, doctors. So... You know, at times we were, we're criticized for being exclusionary, but it's just the nature of the it's the nature of the meeting. Right. Now that makes sense to me. The medical professionals meeting here, of course, they're probably not meeting in person now, but um, they also meet in a place. They don't meet in an in a Alamo club. They don't meet in a church basement. They meet someplace where you know it's it's kind of it kind of is exclusive for the medical professionals people to to make sure that they have a safe place where they can meet. You know, because what happens is it's if everybody shows up, it's no longer a medical professionals meeting or it's no longer a birds of a feather meeting. And it was anonymity driven. It always was. Yeah, sure. 
end. You know, we like to say that, well, your anonymity should be protected, but we know that's not always the truth. Anonymity is probably extremely important, isn't it, in the, for the pilots? Especially for pilots who get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous that don't go to treatment and don't get into the Tim's program. So uh, because the, the, that program is pretty punitive and very expensive. But I think there's fewer and fewer of us that got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Usually we're guys with 30-plus years sobriety. Almost everyone goes through treatment now, I would say almost 100%. And once you, once you go into treatment, whether you have a DUI or not, you're clinically diagnosed, and then you have to go through the HIMSS program. And I would say that most large, large percentage of people, it's DUI-driven. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I mean, that's how they're going to find out. I mean, that's what happened. That's how I got my bottom was uh, my, I had a job where I was responsible for, I was repossessing cars for a bank. And so I had to drive the bank's cars after I took them. And, uh, and they knew I had a couple of DUIs and they told me, if you ever get another one, you're out of here or you better be honest with us. Well, I wasn't honest with them. They found out. So yeah, employers will find out when you get DUIs. <laughs> You know, and if they don't want you to have one, they'll. I think, again, the rules changed and you have to, you have to disclose it to the FAA and then um, to your company. And you better too, because if you don't, they'll find out. Yeah. And that's, it's a good thing. Occasionally someone will get a DUI, just, you know, someone who's not alcoholic. They'll just be over the limit. They'll be driving back from a party, company party or something. But most of the time, if it's extreme or it's your second DUI, it's usually, I, statistically, it's, you're one of us. <laughs> so. so are you guys having a, con- a conference this year, or are you doing something online? You know, we, we had ours, uh, this year we had it on Zoom. Um, we had, it was uh, scheduled to be in Toledo, Ohio. We, we usually schedule our annual international conference in the same city as the AA International. So, you know, every five years, like, so it was going to be in Detroit and we had a pilot in Toledo and that's where we set it up. And of course it didn't happen. So we did it on Zoom. Our next one is next summer in June is in uh, Windsor. It's in the United Kingdom, just outside London. So we're really excited about that. Nice. Nice. That'll be in June. Yeah. We have a small contingent in the UK. Well, hopefully by then that you'll be able to make it over there. Yeah, I hope so. You know, We're that's the so. one thing I meant to ask you that I I wanted to ask you that I forgot. Um, we talked about how COVID was helping your meetings, but is it, I, I mean, because people aren't flying right now, is is that causing extra stress or pressure for people like that work for in the airline industry and pilots? In oh, particular? absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's got to be difficult. Security. Oh my God, yeah. Highly stressful. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I, uh, I was talking to a neighbor who uh, was not in aviation, but he was talking, he's retired, <clears throat> and he was talking about, well, I've, I've been kind of drinking more than I usually do. And I can see that. I said, well, there's an underlying stress, um, and, and we self-medicate. And, um, you know, I was talking to him about it, and it's not abnormal. Uh, and I think that happens in, in any industry, but especially the, yeah, the airlines, it's very stressful right now for especially for junior people and if they're sitting around and they're not they're not flying much they fly a little bit you know not 
because the schedules have been reduced by 70%. Yeah. You know what I heard, though? I heard that it's actually safer to be on a plane with COVID than it is like in any other sort of a room because of how the air gets circulated in the, in the cabin. That is correct. Isn't it, that interesting? Um, it is because it comes out from the top and it goes to the bottom and it goes from the front to the back. So the way the air goes down, unless somebody, but you know, if somebody's sitting there hacking away, <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. It's not like a hundred percent safe, but it maybe it's a little safer. But the, uh, also the, the air in the cabin is recirculated, but only about 40% of it gets recirculated and it goes through very, uh, what's the word, uh, hyperallergenic, uh, filters. And, but the air in a plane is changed out frequently as compared to an office building. Yeah. That's what I heard. Cause when this thing, when this first happened, I thought, yeah, boy, the last place you want to be is in a plane. But as it turns out, they're actually safer. You'd be better off in a plane than you would maybe in some offices. Yeah, that's true. As long as somebody's not coughing on you. Right. Exactly. 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 Yeah, when it's that's just you get not much you can do about that. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's going to happen anywhere. Um, but yeah, there is a misunderstanding about the recycled air, and uh, and the, the the air is changed out in the cabin. The 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 actual fuselage actually of the airplane is pressurized and it leaks. I mean, air actually leaks out. So it's like you're constantly pumping fresh air into the airplane, and. Uh, and like they do recycle some of it, which helps to save on fuel. And so well, that only, makes sense. and I, you know, I'm not sure what the, I've retired for three years, so I'm not sure the procedures they're using, but I'm willing to bet they've turned off the re- recirculation fans. Yeah. So yeah. I'll have to ask, I'll have to ask a friend of mine. So as and they turn off the research fans and then, uh, so it's all fresh air. Well, I'm glad that birds of feather is exists and I'm glad that, it's growing um, with Zoom, um, I, and I could imagine with what's going on with just the economy and everything in the airline industry that you might have more people showing up at those meetings now, you know? Absolutely. And that's great that you're still having your conferences, too. You know, we, you know you're involved with the Secular AA thing, and we're going to try to have, I guess, some sort of an online conference. I hope that thing goes off very well. How did, how did you guys manage that? Were you part of organizing that? Yes, were you really? Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, well, normally we, we would get together. It's usually a four day affair. We get there on Thursdays and we have events planned on Friday and Saturday. And uh, we have professional speakers and we also have social events. We were going to go out into a ball game on Friday in Toledo and see the Toledo mud hens. And uh, that was all set up. And, uh, but that stuff you can't do. So we're really, we're limited to, we actually had a one day, and also we talked about you can only sit in front of a Zoom screen for so long, and you just had enough, you know. So I said, well, we start we started the day with a with an AA meeting, and we had a business meeting, and then we would have a professional speaker break for lunch. We would have another professional speaker, and these are people in in uh, aero, you know, aerospace medicine and psychology, and sometimes they talk about the disease concept. Oh, kind of similar to what we're planning on doing with our, our conference. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we would end with, uh, with, our, with our banquet speaker. So I, we'd have our main speaker. And so we were done by 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, shorter is better. too much to ask. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for a Zoom meeting. You, lose, you start losing people 
you can only sit in front of a computer for so long. Oh, I know. I can't stand it. I um I went to our our area assembly was on Zoom, and I'm I no longer have to do that anymore. Thank goodness. But yeah, I'm like you know half my day is spent you know sitting here looking at a Zoom meeting, and then, and what was really funny is right after that was done, I had another Zoom meeting. <laughs> I think actually with the secular AA board, it's like I just really can't deal with this. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear you. <laughs> Well, it was really nice to talk with you, Marty, and and thank you for for coming on and letting me know about Birds of Feather, how it started, what it does. Um, I think it's really interesting, and I'm glad. I'm really glad that it exists. I I imagine that, you know, knowing AA the way that that I do, it's a really valuable resource, and I I know how powerful it is to um, find your own tribe, to find someone who understands exact who's been in your shoes and understands where you're coming from you know that's that's the magic so that's to aa's credit that it allows groups like this to exist under the aa umbrella that is correct and you know some people that's find their way into alcoholics anonymous through birds of a feather and then you know we encourage people to say to strengthen your recovery it's to always go to regular meetings of alcoholics anonymous um, you know we talk about you know, identification being a key factor in recovery in AA, that I can identify with another alcoholic in the room, and 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 that's important. So, yeah. whatever whatever gets them in and keeps them in, I think is uh, beneficial. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I really enjoyed that conversation with Marty and learning about Birds of a Feather really sounds like a great organization, and I'm glad that something like that exists in this world. It's certainly needed. If you would like to help out um, our website and podcast, there's a couple of ways you might want to do that. Uh, go on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Belief and become a patron. Uh, we're starting to give out some extra perks now for just a dollar a month donation, $5 a month donation, what, whatever you can afford. Um, also, you can join our YouTube channel now and get extra perks by becoming a member of the YouTube channel. Just a couple of ways that you could help out if you so desire. Uh, we'll be back again uh, next Wednesday. Uh, we'll be posting another episode. And on Friday, I'll be doing the live stream with Angela. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be back real soon. Bye-bye.